Oh, I'm sorry, listener. You caught us during our warm-up oh, yeah. time. <laughs> I was watching... Uh, have you ever seen Schitt's Creek? Yes. I waited a long time to watch Schitt's Creek, but they were doing uh, the warm-ups with the jazz gals. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. What was it? It was so funny. That's that you Welcome to our podcast. This is a no concept podcast. Uh, it's an interview based show where we learn about something new. And we're your hosts, Katie and Darcy. Darcy's the other one. Who? Dar- Darcy. <laughs> oh, Dar- oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dar- oh, wait. Sorry, I need to use my podcast voice. Darcy. Darcy. I'm, this, I'm your host, Katie, with the, my friend Darcy. In the original Thor movie, Kat Dennings, uh, that character is named Darcy. Oh, but so how Chris Hemsworth says it is Darcy, <laughs> and it's delightful. <laughs> Having a bad day, I just put on the original Thor. <laughs> you know, I saw the other day, and I was like, I want, is that a last name where it's like capital D? Oh, so, uh, so apostrophe the, R C. Yeah, so the bassist of the Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> has that capital D cap. So that's a surname. Capital A R C Y. So you no, married? It's, a, it's a incorrect. First name. It's, oh, it is. Yeah, it's wild. But then. Like, you can always tell Smashing Pumpkins fans, there's like a certain Gen Xer who always tries to spell my name that way. And I'm oh, like, no, it's no. like a regular. <laughs> but it is like Mr. Darcy, like a surname, but yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, we always start out with something we learned this week before we go into something we know nothing about. Yeah. Well, why don't you start? Ugh, mine's so dumb. But I did, when I was thinking on the way here, I was like, oh, you know what? Because when we talked about this, we're like, something that blew our mind. Mm-hmm. And this like organically did that <laughs> but I did it does not make me appear intelligent sure so do you ever have the thing like where you have plural ideas in your head and you don't realize that they go against each other like yeah. even it can even be as simple as like I would make a plan with you next weekend at the same time I know I'm going to be gone next weekend and oh, I yeah. know both of those exist but it takes a minute for me to put it together that those are the same days yeah but like there will be sometimes that you have ideas and then you realize like that doesn't work yeah um, I do that a lot, yes. Like a, a, a really stupid example of that would be when I was little, I dreamt that my hand fell off and I couldn't find it and it was my right hand and <laughs> I needed it. So I took off my left hand and I put it on my right arm because it was more convenient. Yeah. And then sure enough, how it is, then you fi- I found my hand. But I had already, <laughs> this is so dumb. This is the weirdest thing. I had already replaced <laughs> my hand. So I just stuck it on my left arm. Yeah. Sure. No big deal. And in my mind, and, and I, you know, I was like five, so this could have been like a, a morning. But in my mind, I operated under this pretense where my hands were backwards, you know. And then we did something where, like, I had to put on gloves, and I thought, "Oh wait, mine's gonna be backwards." Or it was like an activity where you draw your hands, and I'm thinking, "Great, everyone's gonna notice my hands backwards." And then and like, oh, it wasn't. Right. And, I was, and then I was like, "That was That's a so dream. weird." Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so maybe it's not exactly like that. But, you know, I have no idea why in my mind up until this week, I still thought Ryan Felipe and Reese Witherspoon were married. But I also knew she was married to an agent. Yeah. Both were true in my head for some reason. (laughs) But there's, I don't know, like weeks ago, they've talked about how their daughter looks so much like her and she's dating a guy that looks like him. Mm -hmm. And finally, I was like, I don't know. I've always really liked them. So finally, I was like, I'm just going to look at them. Yeah. And so I pull it up and I looked and then it says something about like, you know, with his ex Reese. And I was like, like, it kind of made me sad for a minute. And I did like it. It was like the world was upside down. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then I was like, but I knew she was married to an agent. (laughs) That's funny. But I guess. Yeah. So you learned that Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Philippe are divorced. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. I'm grieving their, their marriage. Earth shattering. <laughs> Very great. That's really funny. So, yeah. So sorry um, to anyone that didn't know that. I mean, it was like, what, 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I guess what I learned, Ross and I were at the football game on Saturday. Um, and we ended up visiting with... Uh, this woman who's the new head of Central Civil Engineering at the University of Nebraska, which it's now been renamed Civil and Environmental Engineering, oh. um, which she said is actually really important. I think it was kind of one of her big pushes. 
um, because environmental engineering actually attracts a lot of women to the field, and it's kind of hard to know where to go for that. So um, it's kind of a big deal for them. Anyway, but one of the projects they're working on that I thought was kind of interesting is um, antibiotic waste coming off of animals, off of farm animals specifically. So like they're looking at a lot of poop and a lot of runoff. Right. uh, And residual antibiotics left in poop and how that affects us environmentally. Like, you know, there's like staph resistant bacteria, like staph bacteria that's antibiotic resistant that goes around hospitals because of the high antibiotics that are like environmentally. Anyway, they're looking to see if that's happening sort of on a larger scale based on antibiotics byproducts anyway (laughs) so i thought that was interesting and i didn't know that was something engineers did no and i didn't know environmental engineers do everything right engineers just a fancy yeah problem solver yeah (laughs) right Uh um yeah and i just i guess i didn't know the whole um field of environmental engineering sort of existed so anyway i think that's interesting yeah so if they're correct in this then what we have to if you're have cattle that are treated with antibiotics you what bag their poop and dispose of it some other way like i think that's the next cattle diapers <laughs> you know like yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know can like somehow quarantine them into an area where their poop is then yeah dealt know. with in a different no way idea. no idea what the answer is there oh this has nothing to do with that um <laughs> <laughs> so our topic for today um yeah, I'm intrigued because all I know is that it's actually on, like, yeah, format. We're, we're doing the the real format. <laughs> like, this is what our podcast is supposed to be. So you taught at a preschool for a while. I did daycare preschool. Daycare, but I had the preschool age kids, and then I had the school agers. So, did you guys follow any sort of educational philosophy? Was there any um, sort of like what was the structure there like? Oh, I should know. And and it actually was a preschool. There was some kids that came just for the preschool. And there, the teacher that I worked with that was the full-time one had a degree in early childhood education or whatever you would have. Um, it was so long ago, and I have the worst memory, so yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Which is it was fair. like, don't touch your friends. Like, <laughs> take a bath every, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. ABC. Right, yeah. It's time we to pick sing up our toys. A Days of the Week song. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Um, so our guests today are actually coming in to talk about the Montessori method. I was, gonna, I was wondering if that was yeah. what it was going to be. Yeah, yeah, so do you know what do you know about Montessori? Anything? Um... You know, I actually don't know a lot about it. I know I've had some some relatives and some friends that have had their kids in it, and I know that it can be amazing, but it seems like very rigid and structured, and like you're going to take Georgie, who's not two, and you're going to be like, George, why don't you know the planets yet? You know? <laughs> See, I think it's the opposite. Oh, I really? Think, well, as I've as I think it's been described to me, and this is through LA hippie parents, is that it's very, um, the child guides their play and their interests and it's all child led learning. So it's like, it's like they lead the, we're not going to reading time now. It's, Oh, I feel like reading. (laughs) Right. So, which I don't fully under, you know, I don't know. I think maybe you need a little more structure than that. So I'm kind of interested to see how that really works with three year olds, letting three year olds plan their own right. <laughs> or maybe that's not it at all I don't yeah, know I don't know I guess that's not the idea I have it but like I yeah. said I have no actual no I um, knowledge of it so that's really interesting what I yeah what I know people like about it is that it fosters a lot of um, independent thinking I know that's the big yeah and I, I, yeah. I yeah and like responsibility um, I know it's big on like um, self-sufficiency right so one of the things we do at our house is we have this, um, they call it a learning tower, but basically it's a step stool so that Georgia can be up at the counter with us when we're oh, cooking right. and working. And, and she's been up there since she was, you know, old enough to stand and climb up there. You know, maybe 10 months she was on this tower, like up at the counter with us. Right. Um, and I know that's a big thing with them is is sort of hands-on learning and experiencing things. and Right. Like kind of doing things yeah. at your level, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to learn more about it. Um, they just built and debuted a big new um, educational center here on the campus of the University of Nebraska at Kearney. 
Um, so I'm excited to hear more about their facility and mm. their teaching and the method in general. Yeah. Today's episode is recorded at the GW Frank Museum of History and Culture. It is an 1890s Victorian mansion, but it is much more than a house museum. It's an event space, an educational center. Uh, there are opportunities for UNK student professional development. Uh, it's a dynamic museum offering unique inspiration to the Kearney community. Uh, and even more than that, it is an incredible partner on fun, creative endeavors like this podcast. So thank you again to the GW Frank Museum for having us one more time. So we are <laughs> here back. with our guests. <laughs> um, and I'll have you introduce yourselves and uh, your position here in the university. I'm Deb Zelo, and I'm the director of the Plambeck Early Childhood Education Center, which will be opening on November 4. Hi, I'm Natalie Danner, and I'm the Plambeck Montessori Endowed Chair for Teacher Education at the University of Nebraska Kearney. And I'm also going to be helping with the center to support the Montessori teachers who will be hired there. Let's, um, let's start right off with it. What the heck is Montessori? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, when we were talking about it, I'm like, I really don't. I've had cousins that have used it, friends that have talked about it and used it, but like in my mind, it seems like this rigid, you know, and then Darcy was like, I think it's the opposite. And so I don't know. All I know is that my, when my goddaughter did it, she advanced so much. Like she was coming home and like she knew all the planets when she was three years old. I'll give you a background. I was in Los Angeles for seven years. So they're nuts about a Montessori out there. And the preschool mm-hmm. application process is tougher than anything I did to get into college, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's very, very rigorous, but people love a Montessori out there. So I became mm-hmm. familiar with it through sort of that world. But um, yeah, I'd love to hear sure. you guys tell us about it. <laughs> well, I'm it originally from New York, so yeah. I'm very aware of the preschool admissions process yeah. that can be very demanding and difficult. Um, and that's usually pretty common in the urban areas. Not as common in the more rural areas. Actually, what we're finding in more rural areas, especially in Nebraska, is that there's something that's called child care deserts. Oh, Have yeah. you heard of this? Oh my gosh, yes. Well, I live in Holdridge. Um, okay. My brother and sister-in-law live in Oxford. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're familiar with <laughs> that sort of shortage yeah. that exists. Yeah. So it's a little bit different, but your misconceptions or your ideas about Montessori are very common misconceptions that many parents have. <laughs> Some people think very, very strict. That's what Montessori is. And some people think, oh, it's willy-nilly, anything goes. And actually, it's something that's a little bit in between. So what Maria Montessori, who's the founder of the method, said was that there's freedom within limits. So there are limits within the classroom, but the child has the freedom to move about the classroom, to make choices, and for their curriculum to be individualized. And that's a big part of Montessori. And that's probably the reason why it wasn't your goddaughter. It actually was my goddaughter. Did I say that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Your goddaughter moved ahead. (laughs) It was probably because her teacher was very aware of where she was developmentally and Mm -hmm. was able to push her ahead in those areas that she was strong in and maybe allow her to have some repetition in areas that she was struggling in. And that's a really common part of the Montessori curriculum is that it's individualized and tailored for each child. So very child-centered. Tell us more about that, that sure. individualized, where do you start with assessing? Is it following their interests a little bit? I mean, how, how do you tailor a curriculum to every child? So part of it is being a really good observer. So Marie Montessori started as a scientist. She was one of the first female physicians in Italy. And she was trained as a scientist, and she wanted teachers to also have that scientific method when they were teaching in understanding the development of each and every child in their, of their, in their classroom and tailoring their education to basically what they need, which is different for every child. So Montessori classrooms are multi-age, but they're also multi-ability. So children in those classrooms can be way far ahead in math, perhaps, and then maybe they have some difficulties in their literacy um, learning. And that's okay, because everyone in the classroom is learning something different every day. So it looks very different than a traditional classroom in that 
There are very few whole group lessons. It's not something where you're learning the same thing at the same time in a single age grouping, which is a tradition. So how do you achieve that? I just, I worked a little bit in college at a daycare mm-hmm. and I just can't imagine how you do like, to me, that sounds like chaos. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's very much not like chaos because the teacher is so well-trained in understanding children that children at that point become very independent in their learning. So they're making choices within the classroom. And Maria Montessori has this great quote. She says that when she enters a classroom, the best part would be to not notice the teacher because the teacher is not front and center, the teacher is the guide. So if the children are taking the initiative and um, they are being independent and making their choices within the classroom and learning from the materials that exist as part of the curriculum, then the teacher is working more one-on-one and in small groups, perhaps in the corner of the room, obviously keeping an eye on everything and making sure that things are moving smoothly but really thinking about those individual children rather than the whole group. So it's a different style of teaching. It's, it's quite different than traditional education. And I also know that um, Dr. Montessori also said, which I did my master's thesis on, is that we need to incorporate the physical, the social, emotional, and the cognitive side of learning to create the whole child. And that's exactly what the name of one of my master's theses was. And um, so it's very important that we look at it from a child's approach and through a child's eyes and because that's how they learn best and from each other talk about the physical component of that because i feel like maybe that's the one that i don't see the most you know i mean you can see the social emotional and the you know yeah what's the physical component um just doing the gross motor things being able to run and explore and Mm -hmm. uh, manipulate things with your hands you know the painting side the creative side of it where it's expressed through the hands-on experiences that you might not get from just sitting and listening to someone else speak or say this is what we're doing today and you know I mean kids like to do things (laughs) (laughs) what an idea don't they just want to sit and listen (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I know I can't do it so I should never expect a child to do that either the thing that keeps coming in my mind is just how do you handle the behavioral issue side Mm -hmm. of it that because that's great Mm -hmm. the idea that these kids can be kind of working independently throughout the room and with each other perfect sounds great but also sounds a little bit like a nightmare for the kid that you know so is it is there i guess some kids that this doesn't work for or is it that you adapt it somehow you know i guess can you tell me about that sure so the multi-age environment is really unique in a montessori classroom so for early childhood that means three four and five year olds are all together in the same classroom and you might think like you said this might be a nightmare how does that work right (laughs) but it actually works really well because the children are continuing with the same teacher and same environment for three years So they have experience in what the rules are for the classroom and what the norms are for that classroom. And when they return the second and third year, they're those models for the classroom. So it's not a new environment every year for every child that they have to adapt to and try to figure out what does this teacher want? What are the rules in this classroom? How do I do it? And butting up against those rules. But really it's more like a family atmosphere where you know those older kids are teaching the younger kids it's almost like a family in that way if you think about this concept it's not really anything new i mean there in the past we did have multi-age classrooms sure exactly and um and while there might have started out as some disruptions, if you know the children have the clear-cut expectations and know what they are, and they're consistent and mm-hmm. fair, I mean, everybody is able to handle those, I believe, mm-hmm. okay. yeah. Right. Well, and I guess a lot of the behavioral issues in a traditional classroom come from being afraid you're not understanding or moving the same pace as everyone else, right. or, or also part of the cookie cutter, cookie. or yeah. being forced yeah. to sit, yes, mm-hmm. and exactly. not be able to do. I mean, I think that creates a lot because so there's also the big change that they do in elementaries now 
which also part of me is like, I have no idea how they do this, where it's like the standing desks or they mm-hmm. like they're, the chair that's a little bit wobbly so they can sit and fidget the whole time. Yes. I'm a little bit like, I'm like how, how do you do that as a teacher? I feel like I'd be like crawling out of my skin, but obviously there's science behind it or they wouldn't be doing sure. it. Yeah. So I think and probably it I removes like a lot of those challenges. And that's what mm-hmm. I like about the Montessori um, curriculum is that she is a scientist. Right. The founder is, was a scientist. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes it science-based and research-backed. And what some of your listeners might not know is that Montessori goes all the way up to high school. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about elementary, there exist Montessori elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools out there. And they use the same method and philosophy all the way up through those upper grades. And it's multi-age all the way up as well. Let's talk about that. Because sure. one of my biggest frustrations moving here, I'm moving back from Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. knowing I was going to start a family here was that I don't have access to any of those things here. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I'm so happy the center's coming. That's so yes. exciting. But I, I'm kind of hoping it trickles down to some of the rural communities and we get, sure. you know, a bit more integrated regionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe what are some, even if you, if you don't have access to a Montessori school, mm-hmm. which a lot of our listeners don't, what are some um, practices that you can put in place in your own home? What are some... Um, what are some tips we can use? I have an 18 month old <laughs> sure. who wants to do everything on her own. She <laughs> doesn't even want me opening her yogurt anymore. Right. You know, um, what are some things we can build into our routines? Sure. We don't have access yet. So parents can do a lot at home, especially to increase the level of independence of toddlers or preschoolers. Some of the things that you could do that really cost almost nothing are things like creating a lower shelf for children to get things that they need for you know setting the table they can have a plate that's their own size that they can bring to the table for themselves maybe not set the entire table but at least (laughs) set their plate and then um, maybe keeping the yogurt on a lower shelf <laughs> so that if it's snack time, you can say, okay, honey, go ahead. You, you can do get something. Don't yogurt. you have like a Georgie's snack drawer that we she do. can yeah, access that she yep. Those sort of yeah. ideas. Well, and then another thing, like at the preschool already, I've encouraged teachers, you may start through zipper, but have the child zip it themselves. Oh, that's a good so idea. They are responsible mm-hmm. and accountable for their own actions and making sure that they are ready to transition from indoors to outdoors. Which is a challenge though, I can see, because that takes more patience and more time and they might not do it in the four seconds that you want to have that jacket on. But like the whole behavior thing in the classroom, you only have to do that a few times. Right. And then pretty soon I'm thinking... They're going to have their coat on already. Right. Exactly. Well, and then if they don't zip it, do you wait for natural consequences? Do you repeat? Like what, what if they're not... I just say, or they just always want to do I said, it. <laughs> I said, I sort of, you know, use the fake binoculars and say, oh, I see some of my friends are zipped and some aren't. Let's work on getting them zipped. And then if, if it's impossible for them, then I ask, would you be able to help one of your friends get their mm-hmm. coat zipped? It's oh, a so. perfect example. And I think the peer pressure part of it, not in a negative way, but in a positive way, really helps. <laughs> not shaming the them. Like, oh, right. Darcy doesn't them. zip her own coat. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And from what I've researched, that's a huge part of the Montessori model mm-hmm. is is the peers helping mm-hmm. each other. And I think that's where we get the greatest um, achievement level. And as a person who was a special ed teacher for 22 years, that's how I taught my students because I couldn't always give them the information they needed, but if they had a peer or someone else to instruct them and guide them and assist them, then they were able to yeah. um, understand the information better than if I just said, well, remember what we talked about? Some of them did not. And so those kind of things mm-hmm. I think are better. Well, and younger kids always think older kids are cooler. You know, they're like, right. they're so in awe of kids who are just a little Even if older than you. Even if you were your, if they were your age, and you would be like, eh, kind of just like, <laughs> if they're a year older, they're automatically yeah, like gain cool know, points. I remember when I was in high school as a freshman. I remember I knew the name of every upperclassman, and I was in a class A school. Yeah. Oh wow! And yeah. By the time I was a senior, I could have cared less with it. Yeah. My <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. And so it's true. Older pe- older children, and I tell you know, 
some of the older children now at the center, I said, oh, you have to remember, I said, the smaller children are watching you, and when they see you do good things, that, like, you know, encourages mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. yeah, to act like you also. Well, if you're the little one at home, you've maybe never had that responsibility, exactly. you know? Exactly. Which is kind of cool for them to get to be the big kid. Right, you know? right. So do you just really put them in, I mean, is there any sort of method to what room a child would go into? Sometimes. Um, sometimes you would think about children with disabilities or children with higher needs and really balance them throughout different classrooms. So, so if you had three classrooms, you're not going to say, okay, all my children with um, special education needs are going to go in that one classroom. Because one no, teacher is going to have this heavy out. load and the rest right, are going to, exactly. yeah. So, and you want... You want the classrooms to be as typical to your uh, environment of your community as right. possible as, as well, too. So thinking about the diversity in the community, both with disabilities, uh, even like race, status, that kind of thing. All of those things. If you have the numbers to work right. I mean, there are some smaller schools where you can't make those decisions because right. you've got one, <laughs> one or two classrooms. Yeah. but. In, in our case, we've, we're going to have 11 classrooms. Oh, it's, wow. It's going to be a really big so, center. That's another thing I was wondering. <laughs> how many, how many yeah. students are in a classroom? Because I know, like, for me, the ratios are going off in my head, and I'm thinking, mm -hmm. if you have a three-year-old in that room, that teacher can have so many less kids. <laughs> but, what? yeah, so can you tell me about that? What? How many students it or kids you have? the size of the classroom. Um, state regulation says it's 35 square feet per child. However, we're offering many more square feet per child than that. <laughs> right. Than the state requires. So, I mean. I so didn't know it was done that way in square footage. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was is. It is. Interesting. Yes. It wasn't that. You figure um, licensing for capacity of a facility. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. I know. Yeah, the only thing I ever knew was like babies were four to one. And yeah. when they were That's also part of it. two oh, so or three, it goes up to six to one. Yes, and then. Correct. When I had the school agers, mostly and that was twelve to one, which that's is a right. lot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's about six or something for three-year-olds, right? Yes. So, mm -hmm. so those same kind of guidelines yes, apply to you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you either have to have another teacher or stay at six or below. Yes, that's correct. okay. You would definitely have another teacher when you're talking about preschool, though. When you're in a facility like the Planbeck Center, because we have the space for it, and when you want to have the social connections with different children. Six is a small group, mm -hmm. unless you're in a family child care situation where that would be pretty typical. Um, but in a group setting, it's nicer to have those larger numbers. Right. Especially when it's Montessori, because you want the teacher to be less available. That's counterintuitive, but sure. you want them to be less available because you want the peers to be a sense of support as well. So when you're thinking of that family environment, you're thinking, I'll go to my older brother for this instead of dad, right? And the same kind of thing when you're talking about a Montessori environment, you wanna see peers as a source of information and support and not just the teacher. Because when you have a group size of, let's say 18 or 20, that's hard with one person being the source of information all the time. Yeah. What if there could be 10 people that are the source of information sure. all the time? Then not only is your child getting to learn from the adults in the room, but also their peers. Yeah. Well, it's that thing of like, if you're teaching something, you're learning it better than if you're just learning, right? Like the, right. Well, it reminds yeah, me a yeah. lot. I have cousins that homeschooled. There are nine of them and homeschooled, mm -hmm. you know, and they're... Mm -hmm. The oldest one raises a lot of the younger ones and teaches a lot of the younger ones, you know, mm -hmm. and it feels very much like that sort of model. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the center a little bit. Um, this is an incredible resource for the community. <laughs> um, tell us what it is, what you have, because they're not all Montessori classrooms, or are they? No, there's some no. other teaching styles happening right. there. So tell us what, what we're working with. <laughs> Well, there will eventually be 11 classrooms, and the rest of them are um, based on creative curriculum. But the rooms will be, you know, in the same age levels as the Montessori program rooms, the um, six weeks to 18 months, and then 18 months to three, and then the three to five-year-olds. And so they will be divided like that also. Mm -hmm. And then... And we're also going to be doing each family style. Um, oh. And I have worked with Dr. Dev before from UNL campus, and she started that program. And so I got one of my um, 
friends from the extension office, Linda Vries, who's going to come out and do that program with us here. Now, does that just, is that like the, like you would at a table, like you have the, yes. the bowl of corn and, and then you serve and you pass yes. each other and or whatever. And the teacher is also the reading with them yeah. and providing a lesson. So we did do that when I was at the daycare and it kind of did make the whole experience less stress from right. the teacher standpoint yes rather than right. trying to be like let me plate all these up and yes. get them out exactly and yes well and at home that's good too <laughs> you know if you're practicing mm -hmm. sitting at the table till everyone's finished mm -hmm. and doing you know we eat at the table i mean that's mm -hmm. well and then like when the fight. <laughs> if i was off helping somebody go to the bathroom or making you know doing something away from the table and someone wanted another serving of something they weren't waiting on me right Exactly. Yeah. Maybe there were some exceptions where I was like, I'm going to be the only one that serves this, <laughs> which is probably against the, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it definitely kept the process moving a lot better. I it think. also promotes conversations too mm -hmm. and, and language development. So if you think about it at your family table, when you're having dinner, you're having conversations and same thing with children and uh, childcare and an early childhood environment. They're having those conversations with their peers, <laughs> with their teachers and the teachers are modeling um, conversations around the food, too. This is super tasty today. Oh, I'm eating some yellow corn. Oh, it's so sweet. Oh, what do you think about this? What happened this morning? How are you doing today? All of those kinds of things that are really important in bolstering the child's language and really their conversation skills, which are so important when you're thinking about literacy and language right. in young children. And you get them to eat everything. <laughs> you get them to try not, things. Try things. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Not, not eat everything no, on the plate. That's not the goal. No, it's not perfect. Yeah. You don't clean. Not the part of the clean plate club no. anymore. But yeah, <laughs> you get them to try things at yeah. least. Certainly. Yeah. Again, peer pressure. I mean, if there's some, <laughs> exactly. somebody else eating it. Right. Well, if you're talking about it too, and you're talking about, wow, this is so sweet. It's almost like. Wow, this is almost like sugary, kind of like candy, but it's not. It's corn. It's really tasty. And I put the butter on it, and it melts, and it's so yummy. Mmm. Did you try that? Is that good? Did you like that? Like those kinds mm -hmm. of conversations instead of, I hate that. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Or, did, or, did, or did you try that even? Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Making it really language rich, but also a very positive environment too. Yeah, and now I want to go get some corn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking Nebraska corn. I have well, some of those sensory too, like teaching, yeah, sure. teaching you, right. you eat with your eyes first. You mm -hmm. eat with your, you know, I mean, all right. getting sure. all those senses involved in exactly. which, is, which are good, healthy eating habits to develop throughout life, rather mm -hmm. than you know, eat ten more bites, <laughs> you know, or whatever exactly. the yeah. thing is. And then, and then, yes, um, college students will be a major part of the center. Yeah. And they will also, we have observation rooms where they can come and observe. Yeah, that sounds cool. And so for classes, as well as um, be an employee mm -hmm. at the center. Yeah, that, I, have a, I have a question. So um, we talked about that there is some places where you could do this all the way through high school. And um, then you also said that you want the teacher to be less available. So I can see when you first said the thing about about high school, I thought, you know, how prepared are you for college when you have to maybe sometimes sit in a lecture hall for this? Sure. You know, you're not going to be able to be like, oh, I'm sorry. I, you know, I learn hands on or, you know, like there's <laughs> some point where you have to assimilate and do what the world does. But I, I, so I can see that, but I see the other side where if the teacher is less available and you're used to mm -hmm. going to your peers, figuring out on your own, that kind of stuff, I can see how that would be a great tool in college because, yep. because you're not going to have someone over your shoulder making sure you're doing yeah. your work. So I can see both sides. So I guess, can you talk on that a sure. little bit? So as you go up in elementary and middle and high school, it's more about really knowing your strengths and weaknesses really well. And not only just focusing on your strengths, but thinking about how can I bolster those weaknesses so that I can move up. Whatever level that you're at in whatever subject it is, you want to see progress with that student. And that's where the teacher comes into play, especially at the elementary, middle, and high school, is they become like a coach. So think about the tennis coach or the skiing coach or the basketball coach, right? 
they're always constantly focused on your development and getting you to that next level. That's the same thing as a Montessori teacher, and they're really focused on that. And what we've found is that as children graduate out of these elementary, middle, and high school programs, they really understand what their interests are, what their passions are, and where they have weaknesses, and how to kind of adapt their environment for that as well as move forward in their strengths. So when they're coming to a college environment where they have to sit through lectures, they're really well aware of what their interests are so they can choose that major and be passionate and move through their college career with that. So I see it as a benefit. And hopefully not have those two undeclared years at the top. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. we, well, we've talked about this before, too. I would have really benefited from a lot more self-knowledge moving into college, you know, going into college. I, I, we've talked about, you had a good sense of who you were, but I feel like I had no idea who I was at that point. Um, and definitely no sense of my weaknesses. <laughs> I, you know, I... And maybe not an accurate sense of my strengths. <laughs> so let's let's walk through, uh, and I'm sure there maybe are no typical days. What's a typical day like? A kid comes to the center, drop from drop off through pickup. What's what's a day like at the center, sort of? Currently? Oh well, yeah, currently construction, right? <laughs> currently, once there are no children. Yeah. Once your ideal <laughs> ideal day in the perfect <laughs> world, and every day goes exactly how you want, yeah. which I'm sure is how it's always going to be. Yeah. <laughs> a typical day. Um, they come to the center and say goodbye to their parents. I think that's a very important part, or a see you later kind of thing. So understanding change transition. I was. Do you help the parents with that part of it? Like, do you offer <laughs> suggestions, or do you let yes, them I do that? I'm, okay. I'm usually there when a lot of parents drop off children, and and I say, say goodbye to your mom. Say I'll see you later. Tell her you love her. You know, one of those things. I don't say all three of yeah. them at the same time. Ever, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> say bye, mom. Love you. And they, and they just sort of look. You know, at first, but now some of them are starting to do that. At yeah. first, they just sort of looked at me like. Why would I I Georgie waves over her back end. Bye. Like, see you later. Like, barely. And sometimes we are excited to do that. So yeah. Just, Leave me alone now. <laughs> this is me time. And then they go and, you know, say good morning to their friends that are there and begin to converse with them and spend some time with them. And then they do breakfast. And um, I don't know how specific you want me to get here, but and then um, after breakfast, to just do like a um, welcome time with each other on the road, and then they go and play, and explore, and have fun in the centers. And um, the teacher, you know, says these are some new things we have out today. You might want to go huh. look at and explore with and discover and um, these are some of the same things we had out before and but but i've added some new surprises in there those kind of things and then you know that's sort of how the some of the morning looks like and then they go around and individually work with one or two children who they see are struggling in an area or kind of like a stations is how i would picture so like centers yes. centers yes. yeah centers that's yes. it yeah okay and, then, and with freedom to move from center to center if they would like to oh so they're not even restricted to you you know like this is where you are now if you're in the middle of it you could go and do yes, yes. oh that's cool and because sometimes i think if you have um, manipulatives or toys or activities you're doing in one center and you think, huh, I wonder how this would work over here. They have permission to explore that and discover how those two things would relate together because you might become come up with something that's really new and fantastic and then, you know, and I don't want to be the person who says, no, 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 we can't move that over to that center. That has to stay right here. Sounds like you're going to get Buzz Light your footprints in the paint. <laughs> How do you okay. handle if, yeah. a, if a child then like really actively avoids one, you know, like if it is their weakness and they just don't want to go there? I mean, is that avoids one center? Yeah. Or one or choose a subject, choose one a topic. And the partner, uh -huh. um, we just did that the other day in the center where um, she picked an apple and put their name and then the child got to come up and pick a partner's name to play with. And... The person who picked the friend's name said to the person whose name got picked, since they didn't really have a choice who their partner was, they got to choose where they got to go play. And so they said, okay, and they went and played together there. So you not only, so that way you got to work with someone new, explore things together that way. 
And so that's sort of typically what that looks like. So that works on their social emotional skills together, um, conversation, learning how, how do we ask questions? Because, yeah, I remember sometimes you say, does anybody have any questions? And they say, well, my mom, you know, so they <laughs> talk about what does a question look like? You know, what does that sound like? What words do questions start with? So when you ask oh. a question because you're expecting an answer and if you make a statement well my mom <laughs> you're not going to get response from that possibly and yeah so, that is a job my nephew's in that phase right now and i can't think right now if i think he always is saying like i have to tell you something and it's like he it's like a secret and then you get down there and he's like can i go do this and i'm like well that's a question you know but he's sure and i think he's kind of come through that maybe in the last month but yeah for like a good six or nine months it was constantly like sure. or he'd be like i want to ask you something and then he'd be like darcy took my or, you know darcy didn't zip her <laughs> jacket you know and I'd be like, well that's, that's not a question you know? <laughs> yeah. and so those kind of things you work on and then um then there's snack where then the children help you know, set that out and take care of all that also. So it's a lot of um, exploring on your own and then guided exploration and discovery and learning how to do, you know, life skills, routine kind of things mixed in with the self-exploration and discovery and learning. And then participating in cleanup as well, I would yes, assume. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's all part of it also. Yeah. You know, and, and Deb is talking a little bit about maybe more of the creative curriculum approach yes, there. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But when you're talking about the Montessori classroom, it's slightly different. There are some similarities as well. Um, but you'd notice in the classroom that there are lots of unique wooden-looking materials. Right. And those are the Montessori materials. And that's all part of the curriculum. So if you see a shelf that maybe has uh, three different levels on it, and it's a math shelf, you'll see things on the top that are the most simple, and it goes from left to right, top to bottom, most simple to most complex activities. Hmm. And that's because children learn um, as they're at that shelf that that's also the sequence of reading. Sure. I was going to say, like, how you write. Left to right. It's yeah. also writing. Oh. Um, so every shelf is set up in that way so that children who are new and just learning begin at that top level so that they can explore and get lessons from the teachers with the materials at that top level and they know that eventually their goal is to move down that shelf to the more complex the that's also how we pour flights at the brewery <laughs> Because the menu, you know, it has them one through eight numbered in columns, yeah. but then we have, so there's six on it. And so, yeah, every time I hand it to someone, I say, these are in like, Very you would Montessori. read one through four, five and six. Yeah. So it's a Montessori method. It's a Montessori so I'll, let, I'll just tell them that from that, from now on, when I hand a point, i like, these are in Montessori method. They also come on a chic wooden tray. So. Well, they do. So a wooden material. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it is very Montessori. Yep. All right. Actually, what's interesting. <laughs> Now that you bring up shot glasses and glass and all of that, yeah, that that's in funny. toddler environments, they're really learning those self-help skills and learning to pour for themselves, oh, learning sure. to use glass oh, Well, then bring them to the brewery. <laughs> so so maybe, maybe. But they also have a shop glasses actually in the infant and toddler environments oh, when they're funny. thinking about how to grasp something. Because if you think about it, a glass, maybe like a pint glass, if we're going through this yeah. here, is way too big for a young child's hand. Yeah. But a shop glass. Yeah, or a flight glass, a little five ounce can, taster. Yeah. And, they, and it's very thick too. So thinking about if they drop it, right, it's that not it's going not to shatter, mm -hmm. right? So it's much more solid. Hmm. And a children, a children can really easily pour a small amount of liquid, whether it's milk or water into it, uh -huh. and then get that understanding of how to drink from a cup on their own. And it's really exciting to see those young, young children really understanding how to drink from that open cup versus right. the sippy cup or a bottle and really gaining that kind of independence at that level too. So that happens even in the very young um, ages in the classrooms too. That's cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. One thing that I really stuck with me that I think I would remember from this from now on is where you talked about that the teacher becomes more of a coach. Mm -hmm. Because I think especially as my nephews and nieces are getting older, coaches have such an impact on the 
the players, Mm -hmm. but they do, you have an independent, you know, you don't expect your coach to teach you every aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And you know, you, at least that's how I was in sports. It was up to me to master the skills. It was up to me to improve in the areas that I needed improvement. And they might help me find the tools to do that. But I'm the one that had to run faster. I'm the one that had to, which I wasn't, that wasn't in the cards for me. But (laughs) if if I wanted to succeed, I needed to get my shot better. I needed to figure out how to get around this person or whatever. And I never expected the coach, it wasn't the coach's fault if I was failing. You know, and I think that a lot of times in education, it's not that way. It's the teacher's fault. Or you think it, you know, people, students think it, parents, parents teach it. Yeah, I was say, parents would like to believe that. Yes. Yeah, and it's not. And I mean, and you would never do that with a coach, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that that's, that's interesting to look at it that way. And also to think about it from the teacher's perspective, too, and think about this child isn't learning this concept. If the teacher can reflect on that and say, how can I teach it in a different way so that I can support that child rather than thinking about this child can't learn? Right. So it's really thinking about differing ways of teaching and really individualizing for each child. So that's part of the Montessori too, but it can be a part of any teacher's philosophy is really thinking about how can I do this in a different way? That was another thing I thought is if for the just those standard education teachers out there, how they can, you know, steal some of these and make their methods maybe friendly to everybody or to, to foster more independence, that kind of ideal, I guess. And I think it's possible within a lot of traditional schools and elementary schools. Um, it becomes more difficult when there's a scripted curriculum. So I don't know if you've right. heard of scripted curriculums, but oftentimes that has a sheet of paper that says, teacher says, child says. Teacher says, basically mm-hmm. a monkey can do it. Right. And imagine? also think about children in that kind of classroom. Ugh. They're just listening to this lecture and being able to only respond with the correct In that answer. one way, it's right. like reading a I psalm mean, in church responsively. Right. Like, well, well, I think both sides, the teacher can't love that <laughs> and teacher, the students exactly. aren't. Yeah. No one's happy in no. that kind of environment, you know? That's tough. And they're there. Mm-hmm. Taught them myself. Against <laughs> my... But um, to me, this all sounds to me like what we used to call cooperative learning, where everyone in the small group had a role to play and a responsibility Mm -hmm. and then they just learned together and the teacher Mm -hmm. just walked around and you know coached them or got them back on track or Mm -hmm. and helped facilitate it well let's talk about it being in a college environment for a little bit well there's going to be a lot of partnerships with different departments on campus so not only are there going to be student workers that are pretty traditional in a a lab school environment where an undergraduate student would be able to have some hours learn, you know, teaching in the classroom, not necessarily the head teacher, but supporting the head teacher in the classroom um, and helping and really gaining a sense of how things are done in a high quality environment. But then there are also going to be other types of students who are coming into the classroom who are perhaps Um, further along in their development as a young adult. So people who are moving into internships, student teaching, um, practica, where they have to do part of their work with children is required as part of the program in the college. So when you're thinking about a student teacher, they have more responsibility in the classroom and they have more requirements from their professors Mm -hmm. for those tasks. And they are then models as well to those students who are student workers because they're doing all of those tasks. And then all of a sudden, that college (laughs) student says, oh, wow, this is a junior or a senior who's doing these kinds of activities and these kinds of responsibilities. Maybe I want to be a teacher education major or a child development major or a nursing major, because nursing students may be coming in and doing some work in the classroom. Physical therapy majors may be coming in. So there's a lot of opportunity at this campus, both with UNMC and UNK, for collaboration with students, as well as faculty thinking about doing research um, in a lab school environment. That's interesting. Um, and then I also, oh shoot, I just lost it. Ah! Oh gosh. <laughs> 
It's talking about it being the only one of its kind. Oh, I also read that it's there's a special needs component or special education component too, so it's very inclusive that way. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that looks like and what sort of you know needs open to everybody? It's you know what's what's that portion of it look like and how could these methods of learning be super beneficial in a special needs student? So yes, the program will definitely be inclusive, open to all families and all children. And just thinking about the children with disabilities specifically, thinking about how can we get the supports that they need in the classroom and um, any kind of individualized support that they need. So obviously working closely with our local public school district for those supports so that they can push into the classrooms and also provide the supports perhaps within um, those collaborations that I spoke of before, whether it's physical therapy, occupational therapy. There are students in UNMC that really want to learn from working with children with disabilities. So I would say that it's a very inclusive center, thinking about it that way. Montessori and creative curriculum have been shown to be very positive um, with children with disabilities as well as typically developing children. So both can be good supportive environments for children with disabilities. And kids who are typically developing learn so much from being in an inclusive program as well and yeah. learning to support their peers who may have disabilities or struggles in certain areas. So yeah. it's great for uh, both types of children, I think. Yeah. And then the in-between, also the at-risk. Sure, absolutely. Um, that's also included in there. Mm -hmm. And so, and also include outside agencies. I think that's part of the mm -hmm. meaning of tying the college and the community together mm -hmm. to support not only people on campus, but off campus, and in tie tying those agencies in with what we do here to help us everyone oh, yeah. be successful and learn. Well, that was one of my questions is, um, are there any plans regionally to help you know expand this educational philosophy so that even right because I think it's can't go to the center can get this yeah. kind of access or instruction to a degree you know mm -hmm. I mean would you teach my daycare professors how to do this <laughs> so or does, it just, does it just occur <laughs> organically because now there will be these yeah. college students yeah. exposed to this sure. so there will be people that are trained on it that yeah. are people moving out to different say, areas right? <laughs> right. yes exactly that's exactly right i was just going to mention that because it's a lab school and because it's going to be a model for the state and beyond we're going to have a lot of tours happening at the Planbeck Center, which will be amazing, but also an incubator of ideas. So not only will those students who are college students who are working in the classrooms really graduate and say, wow, I've learned something from this and I'm going to bring it to my local community, but those student teachers will be graduated with teaching licenses and degrees and be looking for jobs out there. So they will move into different parts of the community. But also when people come to visit, they're going to be inspired by the ideas because it's going to be such a high quality center with innovative ideas that we are hoping and you know, we know that this is going to happen, that that kind of idea will spread yeah. um, because it's going to be a successful, really high quality center. Well, and this is the first one like this in the nation that exists, right? It's it a state funded university, something to that effect. I've heard that talking mm -hmm. point somewhere, right? <laughs> so the talking point is actually it's the first public university that is supporting a lab school with Montessori. At all. <laughs> yes. Wow. Because I, I guess I didn't even know that it was that groundbreaking. But I think what a mm -hmm. great tool to graduate and have this that you can list that you know this. Mm -hmm. Period. Great. And then the fact that it is brand new mm -hmm. for in this atmosphere. That's amazing. And then thinking about um, how we train our teachers and how we educate them. Another part of this gift from LaVon Planbeck is that she is also gifted to the teacher education department, and that's part of my position. So my position is actually called the Planbeck Endowed Chair because she funded my position. Okay. So I'm here because of her, but also the teacher education program in Montessori at UNK exists because, because of, of her. Uh -huh. So we're training teachers to go out into 
um, Nebraska and beyond to work in Montessori environments and to open Montessori mm-hmm. environments. Yeah, well, I think At people will jump on it if it's available. Level. Yeah. And it's a blended program. So we serve a lot of students who are out there working in the field who are in more rural areas. So we're not just serving the Kearney area, we're serving the state and beyond. Lots of our students are actually in Iowa. Lots are also in Omaha area. So they're coming from all over the place to go to these online classes, as well as some in-person summer classes, and then a year-long internship that they have to do as their second year. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, and I know it's always kind of been a teacher's college right i mean that's UNK. the history of right. yeah so this is just kind of keeping you on the cutting edge a little bit maybe mm-hmm. it is we'll be the only university in the state offering montessori teacher education mm-hmm. well look if anybody wants to come open one in holdridge i'll, I'll be there Bell's on. <laughs> i'll round up the community support for you we've got our first cohort students, teacher ed. <laughs> students graduating you have a dream of opening your own Montessori school. Yeah. We will make that a reality for you. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? We're yeah. going to open up centers throughout the state and make it happen. Let's just I can't imagine going. a community where this wouldn't thrive. I mean, yeah, I think every everyone wins in this scenario, right? Right. I mean, the teachers probably like it because it's more rewarding. Mm-hmm. It's probably not quite as stressful, I would mm-hmm. imagine. Um, I'm sure there's still some stress. I don't, I doubt if your teachers are like skipping home from work every day thinking like, I just can't wait to come back here tomorrow, but it it sounds like it would be more enjoyable. Well, I'm sure this research exists, but you do still have to take your standardized tests and your state tests and all that thing in the, in the, you're not free of all of that regulation. Yes. You still have to hit those benchmarks, question mark. Question mark is a good Good part to start because there are public and private Montessori schools Ah. out there. So it depends on which you teach at. If you're teaching at a private, perhaps an early childhood Montessori school, you don't necessarily have to have that state license. But if you're teaching at a public one, you do. So not only are you getting your Montessori, but you are also going for your state license at the same time. Mm -hmm. So... Um, the stu- so there are public univers- or public Montessori schools in the state of Nebraska. There are actually four. Really? Three are in Mal- Millard Public Schools really? in Omaha. I didn't know that. One oh, of them is a middle school. Wow. Let's just say that. And then there's one in Norfolk also. So, really? Yes. Huh. So two elementary Montessori schools that start at age three yeah. for oh, public. Wow. Right. I mean, that's then, really yeah. exciting, isn't, isn't it? it? I mean, isn't it? When when I go to Montessori, I guess I automatically go private school. Like <laughs> to get that kind of education, you a have to go private. A lot of people think that. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's a booming. Let's get that done. <laughs> yeah, right. It it's something that I'm working on. Believe yeah. me, um, to create more public Montessori schools because I think that's the one way that really offers access to families who might not have the means to pay for full tuition, which, yeah. which can be um, difficult for many families. Yeah. Well, to do Montessori correctly, we understand that we want it to reflect the, you the know, population of the community. And exactly. Then, yeah. So to be a Montessori teacher, to be the yes. teacher in that room, you have to, I'm sure, so do you have your standard like education degree? Do you mm-hmm. have, and then specific Montessori training? Right. So you would get your bachelor's degree and it could be in a variety of areas, but then after or concurrently with your bachelor's degree, you would go for Montessori training. So Montessori training at UNK is a two-year program. So the first year you're taking your online courses, the summer in between you're doing some in-person training where you're really getting in-person work with the Montessori materials so you know how to give all of those lessons in the curriculum. And then your second year, that entire year, is your practicum year, which is like student teaching. Mm -hmm. But really, you can be the instructor of record or the teacher of record for your own classroom if you're in a Montessori school. And then if you don't have your own classroom, we help students find classrooms out there that are eligible to be those student teaching sites. Okay. And so that's have that not sure full would work year. for an mm-hmm. existing teacher, a teacher mm-hmm. who already has a yes. job and a placement, right? If it's a Montessori school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's So that's cool. a lot of our students are actually already teachers. They just want to go forward for and learn this Montessori. method. Yeah. 
Yep. And so that, and that surely makes them more marketable too. Mm -hmm. It does. It does. Because there are many, um, public school districts in the country that are implementing Montessori now in the public arena. So I was gonna say, even if it's not a Montessori school, just the, yeah. And that's, that's interesting theory. to a lot of superintendents and principals out there that they have additional training and a different philosophy that can help them be more individualized for the students that they serve in their classroom, whether it's Montessori or not. Yeah. Well, I think this is, it makes so much sense Yeah. that it kind of seems like, why isn't all education like this? <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you think all education isn't like this? <laughs> I think there isn't a lot of trust in teachers right now. So that's why many administrators, um, both at the government level and at the district level, often fall back on what's easiest to implement so that they feel like it's a fail safe. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of those curriculums that are just, you know, rote curriculum, they're like, okay, well, we can measure that and we can measure that the teacher is doing it properly and we'll see some sort of results. So let's just go with that. And that was what doing, I thought, measurability, that just to be able to quantify you do this, we get I this. You, you Lessons know. one through five. Right. And I also think some of it's still like that cookie cutter mm -hmm. mentality. Um, this is how we always did it. It's always right. worked for mm -hmm. us before. That's an accounting thing. Sally, same as last year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it should still be able to work, mm -hmm. you know, now. Yeah. If, yep. if we don't count this small population and we don't count mm -hmm. this small population. Right. Without these outliers, it works for this middle 80%. Yeah. This or, is what eighth grade looks like. We yeah. can't change it. Right. You know what I mean? That well, maybe not a lot of trust in students, in children in general. You know, yes, I, that's I, true, too. I find that a lot of kids are so much more capable mm -hmm. than what the adults in their life let them be. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big yeah, the yeah, minute you let them step outside of the classroom, they seem like they can do all of these great things, and then you put them inside the classroom, and then and they're just stifled into because it's just not the environment that right. yeah. And I get the other side of it too, though. I guess just to play devil's advocate, because part of me listening to this is thinking like, like my mind is exploding. Like, no, like I need to make sure that this student is spending forty five <laughs> minutes on science every day, and how do I know that? And so I'm picturing like, okay, I'd have to have an Excel spreadsheet and I check, you know, <laughs> like, so parts of me are definitely very anti. <laughs> you can learn a lot about the science method in other areas besides science. Right. So that's, you just that's have to, to you just have to let go of some of that OCD, yes. which is, is a, is a challenge. I think yes. for a lot of people, myself included, for and sure. If you think about it, you have three years to gain the curriculum. Right. You don't have to gain it in a year. So if a child moves yeah. really quickly in that science area and they're getting to that next level, that's great. But if the child is really struggling, they have three years to get right. it. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know? it's not like our model right now is perfect. There are children left this behind. There are children that are missing these core things. Right. So it's not like we can sit and look, but we know that this works. Mm -hmm. And the, the <laughs> sad part I think is, is teachers are also being left behind because mm -hmm. they're expected to teach in a certain way. Right. Right. And they're not allowed to. Yeah. And then they're going to get burnout and be unhappy and and, and you're not going to get the results that you could. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Wait, so oh, tell us how, like how, if you're a parent and you're interested in this for your child, how do they do that? They get on um, the UNK waiting list. Um, if you go to the UNK waiting website, there's a place where you can get onto the waiting list. Now the actual Montessori rooms will not be open until a year from now. Okay. To mm -hmm. give us time to find a... Trained Montessori trained, teacher. Yeah. I was going to add excellent on the front, but then I realized I kept saying <laughs> you can say excellent. So, sure. but no, an excellent trained professional Montessori teacher mm -hmm. that will do the job that we want to do with the Montessori. Mm -hmm. And um, and I look at that. They you know work on teaching the other teachers some of the qualities, if not the exact training, so we could make it an entire center of Montessori learning. Mm -hmm. That would be what I would like to see. And I'm and I'm not really that versed in it, but to me, a lot of it is common sense. We need to let the children learn how they learn the best and make it individualized. I think that's one reason I became a special education teacher in the first place, because I understand that part. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think, think, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, if you're looking for Montessori in an area maybe where there isn't Montessori, um, Ask your local um, schools, ask your local elementary schools, have you ever thought of implementing Montessori here? 
It can never hurt, and many times public Montessori exists because of parent pressure and influence, because they're interested in this. And if you have a large enough group of parents who are interested in a certain method, you can create change at your school district level. You just need to do it in the right way, and obviously in a positive way, right? Right. But bring the research, bring the advocacy at that level with parents who are interested in that. And if you're looking at an early childhood center, so say you have a toddler or a preschooler, ask if your local center can implement some of these ideas. Maybe they already are, and you might not know about it. Right. Um, or maybe, you know, mention, you know, UNK has this Montessori teacher education program. Maybe that's a good fit for you if you're looking for a degree or you're looking for a program. Or, or a new or, hire or something, right, you know. exactly. Or I could send my provider for a tour, perhaps. Yes, you Is can that do an that option? too. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that would be a good thing. Um, So we always wrap up our discussions with two questions. The first one is, uh, if you wanted to boil down our discussion into one quick talking point, what is Montessori? Why is it important? I would say Condense an hour and (laughs) dose. Montessori is child-directed, individualized learning, and it really can have a benefit for both the teacher, the family, and the child. So, yeah. And then the second one is, uh, we want you to do our jobs for us. Yeah. <laughs> is there Please. a topic that you feel like you don't know a lot about that you would love to hear a discussion in this format about? It can be anything. Yeah. I think um, I would like to hear more about some of the UNMC's like specialty programs like occupational therapy or physical therapy and how they're providing not only training to people here in the area of Kearney, but thinking about the future, like where are those folks when they graduate going? And what kind of jobs are they doing? And what does that field look like? Because I think a lot of um, people in the community might not be as well-versed in what is occupational therapy or what is physical therapy. Occupational therapy is a hard one to get your head around. Mm-hmm. I've actually yeah, thought yeah. about that a little bit. I have a brother that's a mm-hmm. physical therapist, but yeah. they, he does hiring of that kind of yeah. thing, and I've kind of wondered. Yeah, because occupational therapy specifically, yeah. it's, and then the, the speech yes. therapy component uh-huh. of that, which even helps with, like, yep. swallowing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, yes. I, that stuff just... Yeah, I don't understand. So we have a speech and language <laughs> clinic in the College of Education that provides support to families, adults and children with um, uh, speech difficulties, and they work on swallowing, eating, yeah. feeding, as well as speech. Yeah. yeah. So And they provide some of their services over the internet, if you believe it. <laughs> wow. They, like, Skype, wow. like... That's right. Video conference? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Because some of the more rural areas of the state don't have access yeah. to a speech therapist. Uh, on that, thank you guys so much for yeah. joining us today and teaching us a little something. Um, and I guess if you would like more information, you go to... Do you have a UNK website? website? You can... Yeah, you can go to the yes. UNK website, uh, unk.edu backslash Montessori if you're interested in the Montessori Teacher Education Program and for the Planbeck Center... It's just you go to the UNK website and type in Planbeck Center and it'll take you to mm-hmm. the website. Yep. And Planbeck is P L A M B E C K. Got it. Yep. <laughs> and then actually, also, can you spell Montessori? Oh, because yeah. I would try. Yeah. Is it two S's or two R's? Two or S's. no? Two S's. Okay. M O N T E S S O R I. Okay. All right. Spelling lesson. <laughs> we learned it at our own pace. All right. Well, thank you very much. We had a great time. Thanks. Um, and thank that's you. all for us yeah, today. Yeah, thank okay. you so much. Thanks for listening.